Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Good Calls with Dean Blandino, a production of iHeartRadio. All right, welcome to Good Calls. I'm Dean Blandino. As always, I got my producer, Travis Hansen, with me on audio. What's up, up? On audio, Joe Madrid, who is on a word count this episode. And so we, uh, we're going to keep him from the limited. We're going to keep him limited. Hello. Great show. Great show. See, exactly. I'm cutting him off already. Great show today. <laughs> Lot to talk about NFL. And we got a very special guest, Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. So we're going to get to that a little bit later. But let's start Thursday night football. And this is becoming a little bit of a thing. Okay. This is becoming a thing where either a future Hall of Fame quarterback or a current Hall of Fame quarterback is watching the game, decides to go on social media, you know, either his his handheld device, his phone or his <laughs> laptop or whatever it is, get on Twitter and tweet something not so nice about the game. This week, a couple weeks ago it was Tom Brady. This week it was our guy, Kurt Warner. Well, and Travis, what did Kurt have to say? Well, what Kurt had to say, I, I just want to first off say, it doesn't have the weight that it does when Tom Brady tweeted because – the number of tweets and retweets, I won't even get into it because the numbers are staggering. But, Tom, if you want to see more changes, make more tweets. Right. And, I, I, well, here's what Kurt said. He said, these calls on quarterbacks are border, bordering ridiculous. What in the world are we doing to the game? Okay, so, what and what Kurt was referencing to, there was a big call in the game, late in the game. Seattle was, was, was behind. They were driving. And Clay Matthews got called for roughing the pass or roughing what Russell Wilson and, uh, and, you know, the bottom line is it's, it's not roughing. And, and Wilson was outside the pocket throwing on the run. Matthews led with the shoulder, contact to the body, not to the head neck area. It wasn't late. Big penalty in the game ends up contributing to that drive, which Seattle did score and eventually won the game. Um, a one-point game, 30-29. to 29. And so, obviously, Kurt is frustrated. As a former quarterback, you'd think he'd, he'd want to protect the quarterbacks. But so, this, yeah. is, this is a situation where, where it was not the correct call. But here's the thing. And there's, there's a difference between the quarterback in the pocket and outside the pocket. Inside the pocket, you get full protection, meaning the strike zone is above the knee to below the neck. You have, you have what's called the two-step protection. So in the rule book, it says the defender has up until his second step after the quarterback releases the pass to make forcible contact. So if you hit him after that second step with force, it's a foul. Outside the pocket on the run, you lose that two-step protection. You also lose the protection of the knee area or below. The theory being quarterback on the run, defender potentially in chase mode. That defender has to be able to go low to make that tackle to prevent the quarterback from either throwing the ball or advancing right. it as a runner. So you do lose protection outside the pocket. And, and one interesting thing, what we've seen over the course of time in my years at the NFL and competition committee is the percentage of injuries to quarterbacks that happen outside the pocket compared to inside the pocket, it's significant. The quarterback, when you leave the pocket, history tells us that the likelihood of getting injured goes up compared to being in the pocket. So just something to be to be aware of. So that's Thursday night. It continued Sunday as we talked the Green Bay-Dallas game. Okay, Packers-Cowboys. Not that anything controversial ever <laughs> happens in, in those games, right? So Never. we had a call. Dallas is behind. They're driving. 
a call on the Packers, Rashawn Gary, hit to the head of the quarterback, called rough in the passer. Dak was actually starting to to run the football. He ended up scrambling on the play. And look, this is there was contact to the head neck area. It was to the helmet, but the bottom line is if it's not forcible, it's not a foul. And this this rule and this interpretation has changed. You go back 10 years, late 2000s, and there was a time in the league where any contact to the head of a passer while he was in a defenseless posture that moved the head was a foul. And the competition committee looked at, we looked at a whole bunch of plays and said, that is not a player safety issue. That head slightly moving is not a safety issue. So they added the word force, forcible. It has to be forcible contact. And, uh, and I did not think that that was forcible in that situation. And that's a situation where I would imagine if Green Bay asks, and they do have that opportunity to ask during the week about plays, I would imagine that the league would come back and say that was not rough in the past. And we're going to talk to Coach Peterson about that process, and he actually gets into that later on. Then we had two plays involving low hits to the passer. We had in the, in the Buffalo-Tennessee game, Buffalo's Matt Milano was blocked Running back cut Milano, he was actually airborne, had no body control, had no control over his body. He actually, he turned in the air and did hit Marcus Mariota in the knee area with force, but the rule says if you're blocked into a low hit and you don't have control of your body, then it's not a foul. And and I think we looked at that and felt that that was not rough in the passer. Again, I think that's something um, to uh, the league will look at and then... Um, not necessarily a big call in the game, but this was a big call in this game. Pittsburgh-Baltimore game that ended up going to overtime and Baltimore winning on a field goal, fourth quarter. And, and Travis, you're going to have to help me with the name here. <laughs> um, hit Alasukanimi Adenini. Is that Adenini? I, I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find it real quick. And uh, I, I'm going to say yes, we'll give okay, you that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I would come up perfect. with a nickname. I would come up with a nickname. Um, for him, but fourth quarter, two twenty-five. Baltimore's behind, and and Adenini comes in forcible contact above the knee, uses his arms to wrap, gets his body off to the side. I mean, I really look at this as a textbook tackle when you're coming off a block and avoiding a foul. And uh, and unfortunately for Pittsburgh, the referee felt differently. And this is obviously it's a judgment call. It happens quickly on the field. We get the benefit of replay. And slow motion and all and different angles, but uh, a big big call in that game extended the drive fifteen more yards and and Pittsburgh, um, the game ended up tied at the end of that drive. Baltimore kicked a field goal, so um, some definitely some debatable calls right. and 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 obviously people are frustrated, but the bottom line is as we talked about player safety, I think the league will certainly live with some questionable calls if in the big picture we're protecting the quarterback. Look, we've already lost Roethlisberger for the season. Drew Brees is out a couple more weeks. You you saw, and we're going to talk about a hit on Roethlisberger's backup, Mason Rudolph. These are, you know, obviously player safety is important at all positions. The quarterback is a premium position on, on a team. And, uh, and I think the league is certainly um, – competition when he puts rules in place to protect the passer because he is in a defenseless posture a lot of the time and I think again those are debatable calls they're judgment calls and uh and again we didn't agree with with all of them but calls that we certainly did agree with 
is is the Earl Thomas hit on Mason Rudolph, and and we were in the studio on Sunday watching it, and just you know what was as as a fan, and you think about it, even a fan of of the Ravens, it it's how do you feel when you see Rudolph get hit, and the way he reacted, and his body went limp? It's just it's scary. I can't speak for a Ravens fan. They probably have a little more hatred towards the uh, the Steelers than I do. But you don't want to see a guy go limp and fall to the ground like that, no matter who it is, what team they play for. And for me, you don't you don't ever want to see that as a fan. And and that that I think was look, Rudolph had had left the pocket. He was throwing on the run. Thomas did hit him in the head. There was clearly contact. It looked like to the chin. Rudolph hit his head on the turf. It was just scary. He was obviously. He was obviously out. He was he was unconscious for at least a, a period of time, and uh, and again, that's something the league will look at. Thomas was not ejected, and there was a lot of questions as to why. Look, we just saw Vontez Burfitt get ejected and suspended for the year, and now you have this this situation, the scary situation involving player safety. And why isn't Thomas thrown out of the game? And the league, obviously, New York can get involved in that aspect of it. Officials throw a flag on the field. New York looks at it. And what they're looking for is, did the player delivering the blow, did he have a clear path? Did he have options? Did he lower his head, lead with the crown of the helmet like Burfecht did? And uh, Or, in this instance, I felt Thomas, he may have had a clear path, but it looked like he turned his head to the side, was attempting to get shoulder to the body, didn't quite get there. So I believe that's why I don't want to speak for, for the folks in New York, but I believe that's why he was not ejected. But look, the league will look at this, and there's a process in place for supplemental discipline. We saw it with Vontez last week. The league will look at this. And uh, and again, what what's so important is that we understand officiating on the field and even from New York, whether we eject a player or not, you have to, and it's hard, but you have to remove the aftermath. We can't sit there and look at look at Mason Rudolph and and the injury and let that factor into your decision whether to eject this player. And that's difficult to do. You have to look at the act itself and say, okay, was it a clear path? Was it flagrant? Did he have an opportunity to do something other than attack to the head neck area? And uh, and again, scary situation. But uh, the league chose not to eject. I would imagine there's going to be something coming this week. I don't, if it's up to me, I don't think it's going to be a suspension. I know, I know Thomas has had some, some fines in the past, certainly nothing to the extent of, of perfect, but uh, at the very minimum, I, I would expect some kind of a fine on that play. Yeah, this one's interesting because you see Thomas is going right at him, and as he's as Rudolph is throwing the ball, he's kind of jumping and throwing, and he comes down. So it's like he's he's changing his his strike zone a bit. But I, I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough yeah, it's one. Tough. But I think the other one though in the in the Tampa New Orleans game, there was a bunch of stuff in that game. There was an ejection in that game, and that was that was Carlton Davis who hit Jared Cook. Jared Cook was a defenseless receiver on the play, attempting to catch a pass. And if you watch that play, and I'd like, if you have an opportunity, go and watch the two plays side by side. Watch what Thomas does, and then watch what, what Davis does. And Carlton Davis has a clear path, and he clearly lowers his head and goes with the crown of the helmet to the head of Jared Cook. And I think that was the clear difference as to why Davis was ejected 
and Thomas was not. And look, it looked scarier because Mason Rudolph was injured. Cook jumped right back up. And again, you've got to try to remove that part of it when you're looking at whether to eject the player. But uh, but again, felt that was a good ejection. It came from New York because the officials on the field threw the flag, and then and then after the fact, it uh, it did. Uh, it did um, come from New York, and he was ejected. One other side note on the Rudolph play: it was, you know, it was unfortunate. And and look, this is something the 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 cart, the medical cart, didn't work. And I've never seen that. They were pushing the medical cart, and they couldn't put Rudolph on the cart. And they actually had to walk him um, with his face mask removed. And, and so he looked like he was playing in like 1955 and his face mask removed and they took him off the field. And because the electric cart, I believe it was an electric cart, probably electric. That's why it didn't work. And we won't. Joe's looking at me. But <laughs> Joe, Joe just picked up a Tesla this this I thought weekend. we were going to talk about and, that. And that's I've why he's never, on a work camp. Ever, he's on a work camp because I've never heard more. I mean, Elon <laughs> Musk should should hire this guy because I've never heard anybody, anybody more excited about about a car and uh, then Joe and his Tesla, but does it have that new car smell? Oh God, it's I don't know, but just make sure you get a do you, the Elon you get, Musk. Do you need to borrow my 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 iPhone charger? Do you need so for an extra charge? I'm saving my words, Dean. Okay, very good, very good. But you know, obviously, look, but I don't want to joke about that part of it. It's it's you got to the you're so concerned with moving that player, especially when there's a potential head or neck injury. Um, that it just was unfortunate that 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 happened. But hopefully- how do we not get the hundred dudes that are super strong playing, you know, professional sports to help push that cart off the field? Right, like, put, him, you on put him on the cart and push it and off. Push right? him. I, I think that's. I mean, we've all. I've done that. You see people on the side of the road where where the car runs out of gas, or or in Joe's case, when he's when he when that charge when he hits two hundred seventy one <laughs> miles and that charge is done, and we're gonna have to push the the, the Tesla, you know, to the to the charging station. Um, I can't wait for that. But anyway, you'll be the first one I call, buddy. Please, thank you. Make sure your phone is charged <laughs> too when you call me. So let's uh, let's go to break, and uh, and when we come back, we're going to do our our weekly PI update. All right, we're back on good calls. Let's get into just some stats. Things to that we watch on a weekly basis as we talk about the game right now. And these are through week four. So we don't have the week five stats finalized, but through week four, scoring was down 44.4 points per game. That's combined points. That's down just under four points per game from last year at this time. And when you look at potential reasons why, the two things that I look at, are offensive holding and offensive pass interference. Offensive holding through four weeks, up 70 calls. Okay, Offensive pass interference through four weeks, up 20 calls. Those, those are significant increases. When you talk about holding and OPI, those are 10-yard penalties. Those are first and 20s. Those are, those are second and 20s. Those, those are hard to overcome, and those lead to punts, and they lead to less scoring. So as long as those numbers are up, OPI offensive holding, I think we're going to have a challenge with scoring. Now, at least through the games on Sunday, unofficially scoring was up. Scoring was up just over 48 points per game. I don't know where we are holding and and OPI, but we'll check on that next week. But again, scoring was up. The other thing we always look at, 
you want what's the what's the equation, Travis? Do you remember the the equation we talk about scoring and margin of victory? Correct. So what what yeah, correct what? What's the good <laughs> what's the good recipe? Well, we we want high scoring games that are close. Very good. So we want we want high score and we want low margin of victory, right? He'll get it, people. He'll get it. Joe was like itching to say something. Please, he had the answer. He's like the kid in school. That's like, oh, 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 re put his arm up, but he can't talk because he talked too much crap about Tesla this weekend. Okay. So pass we interference. Him on all day. Yeah, I know. Pass interference. Okay. Look, I, I think everybody we're gonna have to accept where we are with this rule. And I know there's a lot of frustration with this rule. Right now, and we saw it on Sunday in the Packers-Cowboys game with Jason Garrett. And and again, and I just want to talk quickly, Packers-Cowboys. I was getting a lot of heat on Twitter. Um, we shot a fun segment during the pregame. Yeah, you made a me, nice bartender. Me in a bar talking to a Cowboys and a Packers fan, breaking down the Des Bryant play. Look, it wasn't my idea. And, and, and this was the producers at Fox wanted me to do something. They want to have a little fun with it, but also educate, talk about the play. So, you know, when my bosses say do something, I'm in. And, uh, and we had a little fun, and obviously Cowboy fans weren't happy about that. But I, I believe me, no one is going to let me ever live that play down. Um, we'll, uh, we'll continue to talk about that until, until who knows. Until the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, probably. Right? I think that's when. I don't know if they'll let you. That's let the it go statute of limitations. I still believe. might not let it go. Nope. All right. Well, they anyway. won't let it go. So what we saw was. Dallas, there was a DPI on Anthony Brown in in the third quarter. That was a big penalty, 39, 39 yards, and it it didn't look like a lot of contact. Even no. even our you know our colleagues Troy and Joe and and Pereira, um, and and I thought Mike did a good job. Look, it wasn't a lot of contact, but where we are and what if it's called on the field, it's going to have to take something so obvious, meaning. It's going to have to be a whiff, right? It's going to have to be no contact for it not to be called pass interference. And, and I think this is where we're seeing some of the frustration because a little bit later in the third quarter, you've got a pass to, to Amari Cooper at the sideline ruled incomplete. And, you know, in Dallas, if you've ever been in Dallas, there's a giant video board that <laughs> everybody can see. And this call went against the home team. So I'm sure there was a very clear shot right away that showed and, and, and Fox showed it on the air that Cooper did get two feet in bounds. So Jason had to challenge and he was he was fired up. He, he, he definitely threw the challenge flag a little more forcefully than normal. He was definitely trending Sunday night. So, I mean, he, I would, I would say the correct word was he spiked the challenge flag. Was that a Gronk spike? It was not, I don't know if it was quite a Gronk spike. He didn't get above the head. But, but but it was a spike of the challenge flag. And, and I think in addition to that, you could tell, I don't know what was said, but he said something to the side judge. Okay. So there was a pool report. So there was a discussion after the game with why the foul was called. Travis, what, what did the pool report say? The pool report said he actually drew the the penalty flag for abusive language and spiking the challenge flag in front of the official. And then there was, I, I believe, I believe Jason actually made a comment. Yeah. He made a comment after the game and said, I didn't handle that situation as well as I should have. We knew we were going to get the play because I saw it. Okay. And then I think there was one other comment by, <laughs> by Jerry, Mr. Jones he actually weighed in, and, and this might be my favorite comment of the whole situation. He says, well, I hope the little darlings, meaning the officials, 
didn't hear something they've never heard before. So that's a, I think that's a, that's kind of a Texas thing. <laughs> Can you say it with the, an accent? The, the darlings. Well, I hope them little darlings didn't hear yeah, something they never heard okay, before. That, okay, people Can from we go Dallas, no? that's not me. All right, but but I, I just I love that. So I think look, Jason took uh, he you know he's he's holding himself accountable for what he did, um, right or wrong. Look, he was penalized. It was for abusive language, and we move on. But what was really interesting about that situation is it's a fifteen yard penalty. But it ended up being first and 25. And people were questioning, hey, why is that first and 25? Well, when it's a foul against an official, it's it's penalized. It's enforced separately. So what you do is you administer the play, you set the chains, and then you enforce the penalty. So what happens is Dallas wins the challenge. Cooper gets the catch. We put the ball down, first and 10, set the chains, so if the catch was made at the 40, we're going to put the, the front stake at the 40, stretch 10 yards to the 50, normally first and 10. But guess what? Now we're going to enforce the 15 yards, and it's going to be for first and 25. Huge. Huge, 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 huge penalty. U-G-E. Versus your normal dead ball foul, that would be first, first and 10. 10. You'd, you'd administer the penalty then set the chains first and 10. So it ends up being a first and 25. The other side note on this, first of two unsportsmanlike conducts, coach could get disqualified if he has two of those in the same game. So it applies to a player. It also applies to a coach, head coach, assistant coach, what have you. So really interesting. And uh, and I hope the uh, I hope the little darlings are okay, right, Travis? Exactly. But now we're getting into a little bit later in the game. Fourth quarter, we have an interception. Green Bay intercepts a pass. Kevin King picks off Dak Prescott, and you had a lot of contact on this play. And and it was, I think you had potential illegal contact, you had potential holding, and you had potential pass interference. Um, nothing was called. It was an interception, so replay has to look at, they can look at pass interference. They can't look at illegal contact or defensive holding. Nothing was called. And you watched that contact. And you look at the contact that that they called on Anthony Brown earlier, and and there's you can make a case that there was more contact on the interception. Yeah, so. And so the bottom line is is that what's happening with this rule is if it's called on the field, it's pass interference. The same act that's not called on the field is not pass interference. I mean that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and and I don't think that is an indictment on the decision making i think that's the problem with making these calls reviewable because it's so subjective and if your standard is clear and obvious then if you're looking for saints rams nfc championship game to to add a foul you're not you're not seeing that but if we're looking for clear and obvious to pick up a foul it has to be like i said earlier almost no contact yeah. So that's where we are. We saw two plays, two OPI plays, one in thir- the Thursday night game where, where Brandon Cooks extended an arm. Seattle challenged it. It was a pass complete to Cooks. Seattle challenged it. There was contact both ways. Ruling on the field stood. And then we saw in the Tampa New Orleans game, Michael Thomas, which looked like he, he pushed off on Hargraves. And it looked like there was contact, clear push, created space, no call on the field. Coach Arians challenged it, ruling on the field stood. And I thought that that Thomas play especially is a play where flag down, they're not picking it up. 
but the same exact thing is happening and they're not putting it down. I think that's where that's where the frustration lies. And again, we saw Coach Garrett, I think, and again, I, I believe he was still frustrated about that that challenge he had earlier with the pass interference. And uh, and he obviously said something, not condoning that, but it was out of frustration. And the other point is, I don't know if people, everybody understands this, but two unsportsmanlike conducts and you're out of the game. And that would include the coach. So we haven't seen that. We've seen a player get two in the in, in one game, but if if he gets a second on sports my conduct and it's something against an official, it's throwing a punch and it, and there's no contact, any verbal abuse toward an opponent, two of those and you're gone. So and that would include the uh, the coach as well. So um, interesting, interesting situation there with PI. One other play from Tampa, New Orleans. This got a lot of social media traction and and. Bucks fans were not happy, and as per usual, when I go on the air and I explain <laughs> something and I agree with what happened, they're angry with me. If I disagree with what happened, they're angry with me. But anyway, here's the situation. It was a punt. Bucks were punting to New Orleans. Deontay Harris catches the punt, starts to return. It gets hit. Ball comes loose. It ends up in a pile. Tampa comes out with the football. And I believe it was Anthony O'Claire on Tampa that, that actually came out of the pile, but the ruling on the field was down by contact. Tampa challenged. We were outside two minutes. It's not a turnover, so that's a challenge situation. Tampa challenged that it was a fumble, but you have to win both aspects, meaning it has to be a fumble, and there has to be clear, obvious evidence of a recovery, and a player coming out of a pile is not clear and obvious evidence of a, of a recovery. The reason why is that when the ball goes into the pile and the officials rule down by contact, what are they doing? They're blowing the whistle. They're going into the pile and saying, ruling on the field is down. They're telling players to get off. So that ball could change hands after that. So what the competition committee put in when they made that clear recovery part of it, they said, you have to actually visually see the player recover the loose ball. You didn't see that. I think Tampa recovered it, but since they ruled down by contact, there was no visual evidence, and the call on the field stood in replay, and that's the correct replay decision. Look, it was a fumble. Mm-hmm. They, they, they got it wrong on the field initially. It was a fumble, but because you have to see who recovers the football, it, uh, it was not overturned, and, uh, and I think this is a situation where, and I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. I think we will at some point, but this is one of those where, B.A., as, as, as a lot of people that know him, Bruce Arians, we, we refer to him as B.A. Um, I would imagine there's a cooling off period. He can't call the league office until until 24 hours after the game, but I would imagine at 24 hours and one second. The phone will be ringing. The phone might ring, and it might be B.A., and there might be some profanity. Just, just a just hunch. Maybe. Just a hunch. But how many of those calls did you take from him? Oh my God! So so yeah, I, I think the first year I, I was in, I was in the league office as the head of officiating. First year he told me it was like October. He said I'm never calling again. That lasted two weeks. The second year he accused me of betting on a game. Okay, wow. betting on a game. Like I'm I'm gonna risk my career right. on the week six Rams Bucks game. That, that that's that's what I'm risking my career, right? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna clean up on that game and give up my my career, and then the third year he accused me of not knowing the rules. So, but we go way back. He's awesome. I love him. We'll have him on the show at some point. 
Let's uh, let's go to break, and uh, when we come back, we'll go inside the brain, inside the brain of Blandino. I love that. I love that track. This is very Halloweeny too. <laughs> we'll be right back. All right, we're back on Good Calls. We're a few minutes away from our special guest, Eagles coach Doug Peterson. But right now, we're going to go, we're going to have a little fun. But I do want to say, guys, how how'd you guys do in the survivor pool at, at our Fox Rules Cube survivor pool this week? I went out with the Rams. Last week, right? Last week, Joe, yeah. you went out? Uh, yeah, I'm out of the Fox Rules survivor pool. Thank yeah, you. yeah, and, and you, Joe's you allowed to talk it. during this segment. But I am, I am... I won again today. We're not going to talk teams, but I won again today. So I'm still alive in the in the survivor pool because, again, I'm a smart businessman and I purchased somebody else's pick. Um, So if you have a problem with that, talk to Luther, who I purchased the pick from. He's the sellout, not me. And and all those people that listen, let us know how you feel about that. Are you allowed to buy back in? Okay, Joe's okay with it. He's the one who brought it to my attention. I had never heard of that. You're only a smart businessman if you win it. That's right. So I will win. Best of luck. Pal. I will win. DM of the week. I may change your pick. I, I, I want to talk about the. <laughs> I want. I want to. The DM of the week. I get a lot of. I get a lot of really excited people on Twitter, and and I'd say the percentages. I'd say ninety three point six seven percent is not good. It's 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 pretty negative. There are there are the handful. Of people, um, there's my boy Dustin Papa. Shout out to Dustin Papa. I got to respond to him. He asked me how many ice cream sandwiches I could eat in 20 minutes. Okay, and I'm I guarantee you I could eat at least maybe not two boxes of 12. No, I could, no, no. I could. I said I said in the heat of the moment 24. I'm I'm gonna come down a little bit. 18 in 20 minutes. 18 regular size ice cream sandwiches I could eat. 100. percent You haven't seen me eat ice cream. So all right. 18 is much more doable than 24. All right. So. Well, I was, I was pounding the under. Okay. On so the, the DM of the week, this comes from my buddy Caleb Clemens, at Caleb Clemens, and he said, I hate you, and the thought alone of hearing your voice makes my, and I'm not going to use the word, but makes my blank itch have a nice day. So I'm going to let everybody else decide what, what blank is, but, but hearing my voice Makes Caleb's itch. All right, so wow. that's that's the DM of the week. Okay, thank you, Caleb. So uh, let's go to um, the random thought, Joe. Let's go to the random thought of the week. You got it. Can you so can you give us something inside the brain of Blandino? That was kind of the first one different. was very yeah. The first one was kind of Halloweeny, spooky. That was more like Joe Cocker, <laughs> like kind of you know. Like a little little gravelly. Can you you know? Can you give me like a little next time? Like I don't know, like a Michael McDonald or. Roo, 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 roo. Come on, you got <laughs> you that? Give it to me. Inside the brain of Plantino. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> All right, what do you got, Joe? All right, so I've got two here. I've got I I kind of my finger landed on two, so I'm going to let you choose. Okay, again, one, love it or list it. Hillary didn't do the upstairs bathroom. Okay, okay. The That's second good. one is favorite type of sprinkler. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's go love it or list it. Hillary didn't do the upstairs bathroom. So I love, there's two things I love, HGTV and I love the Hallmark Channel. Okay, so right now, Confirmed. Hallmark Channel, we are in the middle of, of fall harvest. So it's all like Halloween, Thanksgiving <laughs> movies. 
Christmas is going to be off the chain this year with the Christmas yes. movies. But right now we're fall harvest every Saturday night, a new movie on Hallmark. They're amazing. But H- I'm going to get Wes Brown on the show. You, someday. Oh my yeah. God. I'd love Wes that. Brown's an I actor, a friend of mine, uh, Hallmark actor. We're going to get so, him on the show. Big saints fan too. H definitely. We'll talk football. <laughs> we'll talk saints and Hallmark. HGTV is, is another passion of mine and love it or list is one of my favorite shows. And on the, the premise of love it or listed is you get this, this, Family, couple, whatever it is, they, they live in a current house. The house, one person thinks they've outgrown the house. It's not, it's not working for them space-wise, layout-wise. The other person wants to stay and thinks if we just renovate, we'll be fine. They get Hillary, who's the interior designer, comes in. They give her a budget. She fixes it up. They get David, who's the real estate guy. He shows them other houses. At the end of the show, they either love it, stay in the house, or they list it, sell the house, and go to a David. And I'm a big list it guy. I love when they list it because all they do is complain about the house and, and they're like, the upstairs bathroom doesn't work. It needs to be, it needs to be, you know, updated. We need an open layout, the backsplash, all the key real estate catchphrases, you know, open layout, the whole thing. And literally 85% of the time they love it. And I'm always get frustrated because I'm like, Hillary didn't do the upstairs bathroom <laughs> and they still love it. <laughs> and David showed them this amazing house under budget <laughs> near their, where their preferred neighborhood was has everything they want room to grow and they still love it. So that is that random thought. Okay. The writers just have you sucked in. They have me drama. sucked in. Okay. <laughs> sucked in. Before we get to Doug Peterson, I do want to talk a little bit about SmackDown Friday night. Okay. I was lucky enough. The people at Fox WWE were gracious enough to invite some of us. You guys didn't get the invite. We didn't get the invite. That's okay. I did. Mine probably just got lost. I did. And we went to SmackDown. They had a blue carpet. We walked the blue carpet. I met Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. I met, I met Mick Foley, Kurt Angle. The Rock was there. But what I want to talk about is forget that. I want to talk about the best officials in all of sports. <laughs> Can we call them that? WWE referees. You don't, I don't think you have appreciation. We were all sitting together. It was me. It was Matt Leinart. It was Brady Quinn. It was Rob Stone. It was Urban Meyer. So the big noon kickoff, almost everybody was there. I honestly had more fun. We had more fun. I said, you guys have to watch the referee. Trust me. Just watch the referee's reaction, what he does. And they were loving it. I was like, I don't know what was more fun, though. Watching them watch the referee or watching Urban Meyer try to make sense (laughs) of what was happening. He, I mean, he looked like what is going on. It was amazing. I was like, coach, this is not Michigan, Ohio State right now. This is definitely a little bit different. But the referees are amazing in WWE. They're, they are certainly the most in, in hazards way. I mean, they, they should get combat pay for what happens to the referees. The ability to, when you're, when you're doing a three, three pin count, the ability to stop your hand oh, yeah. two inches from the ground when the shoulder comes up, Tell me that that reaction I mean, time isn't the best in sports. The only problem, easily distracted. I will say that. <laughs> Definitely easily distracted. A little shaky on some of the rules applications, especially when it comes to wrestler safety. 
But I mean, when you have a, you know, when you have a, a ladder match and you can, you know, body slam people off the top of the ladder, <laughs> I don't know how much we can, you know, focus on player safety. But all right, make sure you watch SmackDown every Friday night on Fox. All right, we're joined now by our special guest. This is a guy that has won a Super Bowl as a player and as a coach, one of only four people in NFL history to do that. Head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Doug Peterson. Doug, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Uh, doing well, Dean. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I didn't really realize that one of one of four people in the National Football League. That's pretty pretty special. Pretty yeah. Special. Do you know who the other you know who the other three are? Can you guess? Ah, uh, Tony Dungy. That's one. Um, Mike Ditka. That's two. No. That's two. Yeah. That's two. One more. Of, of course, me. And who's the fourth one? Chuck Knoll. No, not Chuck Knoll. He coached with the Raiders, this guy. He coached with the Raiders. He As was head coach? Head coach of the Raiders. Um, oh, uh, that's it's what's his name? I know it's. Uh, you got it. I know you got it. Tom Flores. I know who it is. I know. You know. I think I know who it is. What's his name? Tom Flores. Flores, that's it. That's, that's right. It. That's it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All I could think of was the hair. That's yeah. He did have he did have amazing hair. <laughs> he had great hair. He had great hair. He had great hair. And he didn't hide it. You have good hair, but you hide it in that uh, in that visor. I don't know. I think we I need keep to... it tucked in the visor. That's right. That's right. I know. That's I right. know. All right. Let's 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 talk. You know, we're talking about officiating and rules. And for from your perspective, how, how important is it that your players understand the rules? And what and what structure do you have in place at the Eagles to ensure that they're playing within the rules? Yeah, I think I think it's very important that uh, you know we instruct or I instruct our our team. You know, with all the different points of emphasis every year or rule changes or modifications that that, that come out of the spring meetings. You know, I, I do think it's important, and so um, I feel like that taking time in in the off season uh, this past year to educate our players, show them video, show them clips. Even, uh, you know, even take them through, you know, some practice uh, sessions when the officials are, are with us in the spring and summer. Uh, I, I think it's important, you know, that they, they understand because, you know, it, if, if they don't understand if something happens, then, you know, um, it's, it's kind of on me as a head, a head football coach, you know, to, uh, to, to, keep them, to keep them informed. But uh, we do it that way. Um, you know, we show them video. We show them the clips. We, we take them through it obviously educate our players. Uh, we do it X's and O's anyway. Uh, and I feel like it's important that we do it uh, with the officiating uh, as well. And and we saw, you know, the league obviously took a pretty drastic step and, and suspended Vontez Burfick for the rest of the season. Is that something have you, or will you address with the team at some point? You know, I, I try to avoid sometimes some of those things, because I know that's, that's a situation that uh, has kind of been ongoing and there's history there with those. Now I don't mind. And, and I have shown the team clips of those types of hits. And I know, you know, from a league standpoint, uh, we're trying to remove that from, you know, our game and, and try to keep the game as safe as possible. And, and that's the, the, the one, you know, only downside is those repeat offenders like that that continue to um, not break their own cycle, you know, of, of hits, but you know, I, I think it's important to show the team those things, but I don't get into necessarily the suspension stuff. Uh, I let the league handle that. 
Sure, sure. And in, we mentioned, you know, you were a player. Was that something during your playing days? How much time did you spend studying the rules? Was that something, was it a focus? Obviously, it's not a, a primary focus, but was it something you spent right. time on? We spent a little bit of time on it as players. I, I would say, obviously, now as, as a coach, I'm, I'm spending a lot more time. There's a lot more data and research available to us as coaches and players now, you know, to understand the crew's uh, each and every week. And, and so we actually put that in the scouting reports. It's something that uh, we feel that's important that our players understand, you know, who the crew is, the types of calls that they potentially could make in the game. But, you know, back when I played, we, we weren't as probably uh, informed as much, um, you know, and this was the, the, the late nineties, early two thousands that I think just now with the more information and data, we can definitely educate our players a little more each week on, on who the crew is. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned kind of the the analysis and the and the data that that we're collecting today, and obviously, scouting is, is such a big part of what you do with the NFL. You're scouting players for the draft. You're scouting potential free agents. You're scouting your upcoming opponents. You mentioned scouting the officiating crews. What goes into that? How how much detail when you're when you've got a crew coming in for your game, you know how much detail is going into that that scouting report? There's there's quite a bit. It's just it's no different than than scouting our opponents. Um, you know, we have everything from if there's a, a, a crew member change, uh, if there's a new you know a new uh, crew member to that to that uh, to that staff to that referee's uh, crew, we'll, we'll we'll note that. Uh, we can go back two three years on crews and 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 pull data. Um, so there's historical data that we use, um, and then obviously current. Uh, current data with the with the you know three four games that we've already played this season and having having that information available to us and we can we go back and we study every flag that is that is that is put down on the field um is is that data is collected and uh and it's everything from not only just fouls committed but also challenges you know and and having having the red flag that that uh, having those challenges even mm-hmm. um scouted and to see if this crew either you know upholds a, a challenge or reverses a challenge that information is available too so there's a just a ton of information we scout it just like we do our opponents and and have a good feel heading into you know weekend sunday games on on what we can or possibly could expect and and not that you're gonna not that you're gonna coach anything that is illegal but is is it as simple as hey this crew they're they're pretty strict on holding, so we've got to we've got to keep our hands inside the frame. Or this this crew is a little more liberal. Is that the kind of communication going back to the players? It is, and I and I actually take time on a Saturday morning to sort of educate the team on on who our crew is. We show them uh, we show them clips of uh, you know league wide clips out of the first you know four games of the regular season that uh, could be maybe a point of emphasis or Hey, this has been this is a foul that's occurring more and more, you know, in the National Football League right now. But but being able to utilize that data and then and then express to our team, hey, listen, you know, defensive backs, this is a this is a crew that, you know, calls more DPIs or ICTs, you know, defensive holding calls. It might be something like that, and we just just sort of put that out there to them because I don't, I don't want them to worry about you know, sort of handcuffing them on game day. You still want them to play loose and play free. But if they have that knowledge going in, um, then they can keep that in the back of the mind when they play. Now, is there, what's the hallmark for you of, of a good, 
of, of a good crew, of a, of a well-officiated game. You walk away from a game and you say, you know what, those, those guys did a good job. What, what are some of the things that stand out? I think the number one thing is is you don't notice that they're there. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 and I say that in a positive. You know where where it, it, it's not affecting the outcome of the game. They kind of let the players play. I mean, you know, there's there's been games where you know there's like a ton of flags on the ground, and it's like, ah, oh, man, we can't really do anything. You know, either side, and both teams kind of feel that way. Where then there's those games where man, you you come away with it, and you're like, okay. Maybe there were six penalties, but they really didn't affect maybe the outcome or, you know, you as an offense, defense, or as a team, and and you kind of walk away going, man, that was a that was a clean game, that was a well officiated game. When you feel like they weren't affecting or a part of the game um, from the standpoint of outcome, you know, and and I think to me that's just uh, you know the crews that and and they're on top of things. There's great communication on on game day between me and the referee or me and a, a side judge, a back judge, a line judge, whoever it might be, there's great communication. There's great dialogue. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's a sign of a good crew, a crew that's, that's really working for the players, working for the teams. And, and uh, you come away feeling like, uh, you know, honestly, they, they weren't, they weren't even there. And we, we talk about, so we talked about before the game, during the game, after the game, there's a system in place for, for clubs to communicate with the officiating department where you'll submit questions uh, into the officiating department to get some clarity on situations. How important do you view that process and, and how do you approach it as a staff? We take that very important. We take that very seriously. It's a very important part of uh, educating our players, even me as a head coach, uh, in understanding the rules better to be able to submit plays. And, and and I know sometimes they're probably more directed at our opponent, but sometimes they're even even you know our own, you know our own players, and we want to get feedback from that so we can continue to coach and educate our players and and, and show our players that hey, this is a foul, or maybe it wasn't thrown during the flag wasn't put on the ground during a game, but we can come back and say, Hey, you know, this is what these guys are looking for. This will be a foul, you know, moving forward. So I, I think that, that, that those questions that we submit, the answers that we get back, I mean, sometimes we may not like the answer, but at the same time, we can, we can use that information to uh, continue to educate uh, our players and coaches um, on the rules. And so is it, it's not a, you know, cause I know some coaches have, have used that in a different way and more of like a gripe session, but you're looking at it as more of a, a productive, Hey, let's get that, let's get that explanation. So we can now coach to that, to that explanation. Yeah, I, I think, I think you can, I mean, I, I can understand going the other way where it can be kind of a gripe session where we didn't like a call, you know, in a game and, and we want to get a ruling on something. I understand that. And that's, that's part of it too. But I, I think more, more importantly, it helps, it helps educate the officials and it helps educate us. And, and this is what these, these crews are looking for. Um, and, and sometimes there's a trend as the season progresses, there's a trend in, you know, a certain or type of call. So we can, we can use that information positively, I think, in educating our players uh, as, as we go through the season. Now, the, the league passed, obviously, it's been a, a topic of conversation. Pass interference is now reviewable. It's a one-year change. But I know the Eagles, you, you guys were part of, a, of another proposal in the offseason with some other clubs that would have made hits on defenseless players reviewable. And I know there's, there's still, it's early with pass interference. There's some kinks to be worked out. Right. 
But do you, where are you in terms of that proposal in, in player safety hits on defenseless players? Is that something that, that you're still interested in and in maybe exploring going forward? And just where do you see us going with replay in the future? Well, number one, I, I don't want anything that will slow down our game. I don't want anything that's going to just drag on a three-hour and, and five, six-minute game to make it any longer than it already is. That's that's the first thing. So, and yeah. I, and I do feel like replay is 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 helping, and it's an aid uh, to get plays right, to get calls right on the field. And this game is fast. These officials have a tough job. We understand that, um, and so replay is aided uh, in those in, in in those calls. And and of course, we know understand and the technology world where cameras are, you know, we can slow it down to the nth degree and really see, you know, fouls or, or where the ball placement is, things like that, you know, uh, during, during the course of a game. But I think the bottom line is we don't want to slow the pace of play. We want to maintain the, the pace of the game, uh, that way. The, um, as far as the defenseless player, uh, fouls, I, you know, I, I think, everything's about player safety um, from, from, you know, hits to, you know, the head or to the, to the knees of quarterbacks or an arm or a head, you know, a hit to the quarterback on a pass rush that sometimes get, gets missed. Um, again, if, if we don't slow it down, I, I would like to see some of those things. Cause again, our game is violent. Um, there are a lot of eyes on the field seeing certain plays. Um, and if we can get those plays right, then then we can we can make our game safer and uh, we can still educate our players. So I think that's something that we would continue to explore uh, moving forward with uh, with instant replay. Now, do you have? I know most, if not all, teams have someone that that helps the head coach with replay. Do you have somebody that helps you? You know, when to challenge? You know, just dealing with officiating issues, handling those coaches' questions, but specifically more on game day. When when should you challenge? Do you have somebody like that? I do. I do. Um, John Ferrari is his name. And, uh, he's, uh, obviously, uh, very, uh, tied in with the officiate, the officials, the officiating crews with, uh, with Al River on. And, you know, and he's got a good handle on the rules and he studies that. And that's, to me, that's a, that's a big help. That's a, that's a burden lifted off, lifted off of me because it, it takes that aspect away from me where I can just coach football and, and then, and then he can educate me on rules. So, he does an outstanding job. He's communicating, you know, uh, whether it be replays or, you know, to challenge, you know, a certain play, uh, in-game rules, things of that nature, things we talk about during the week, things that come up maybe on a Monday night or a Thursday night game that we see from uh, from the league. So John does a great job uh, that way with me and, and really, really eases my uh, my stress level on game day. Now, uh, does he what? What's his record on challenges? Because if he's not if he's not doing well, you know, I do have a little background in this area. I could come in and step in for John if you want. What, what, you want to come in and replace John? Has he gotten you a PI challenge yet this year, or what? You know what? We got a PI challenge in preseason this year. No oh, preseason. Um, we, we missed we missed one in Green Bay uh, last Thursday night, but uh, um, we got one in preseason that. Uh, uh, was actually I think he was three for three in that game and it might be a record for uh challenges we got three challenges so uh there you his, go his streak is uh in his streak is intact but like 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 wins and losses preseason doesn't matter but we'll we'll go with three for three that's for right. John you're right preseason does not matter so that's we throw those away 
<laughs> but uh, Doug, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, and uh, we really appreciate it. And good luck the rest of the season. Dean, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Good Calls with Dean Blandino is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 